You are listening to episode eight of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice, and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What's happening, fellow money owners? I'm excited to be here for episode number eight. So normally I take some time to prepare a little bit of content, take some notes, have some bullet points, have something to talk about. And this week, I was honestly really busy with work, <laughs> and I still wanted to get a show out, and I, I wanted to talk about something that's really, I think, top of everyone's mind right now. So I've been watching the Marie Kondo tidying up show, I think, like everybody else in America right now. And my husband and I keep joking around that because everyone's throwing out all of their stuff and becoming minimalists that we're actually going to enter into a recession because nobody's going to be buying anything anymore. And then I had another thought that that's actually not true because people are going to throw out their stuff. And then in like three months, they're going to start filling up their houses again with all sorts of crap because that's who we are and we can't help it. (laughs) And it's sort of like socially acceptable to do that. Although I guess now with the TV show is becoming less so. Um, And I was thinking a lot about the KonMari method, although I think everyone's been calling it condoing. And it, it absolutely applies to more than just cleaning your house. Um, I've been thinking about it quite a lot about applying it to your finances and how, you know, that you have to start in a certain area of your finances to get more comfortable and then keep progressing um, as you go along into other deeper areas of finances so that you start making decisions and you get more confident as you go. And I think that's probably why Marie starts with clothing because clothing is kind of easy. Oh, I do wear this. I don't wear this. Um, I think picking something up that you wear quite frequently, very easily sparks joy as she puts it. Whereas, um, once you get to the sentimental items, which is the end of her experience of how you clean your home, you've made the decision so many times about what does or does not spark joy that you're actually able to go through your sentimental items and decide what you do or do not want to keep. And your finances are kind of like that too. Um, And the more I think about it, though, I wonder if there is an actual process for doing this, for starting with something easy and then branching out over time into other parts of our financial lives that we sort of hide or sweep under the rug because they're too hard to admit to or to look at. Um, And sometimes the worst part about that stuff is that it actually is the most urgent. Um, (laughs) I was putting together a thing for my financial planning firm. Uh, I put out a monthly commentary for that. And I put together this, um, it's just a little like Instagram style post where it, you know, it had be your best self in 2019 and it had different columns on how to do it and start with, start by tackling things that are most urgent and then, you know, make some goals for 2019 so that you can be your best self. And then the final column was all about tidying up your room and cleaning up your papers because papers are kind of a big part of our financial lives. Um, and then I released it and, you know, I got good feedback, whatever. 
or, you know, sometimes I get no feedback, which is, I think, sort of par for the course sometimes on these things. But um, the more I think about it, the more I realize, though, that the stuff that's actually most urgent is actually more like the sentimental items or the things that you can't really throw out that are so hard to throw out because they're really hard to look at. It's really hard to imagine ourselves um, death, dead or disabled, which are usually the things that are the most urgent part of a financial plan. So, um I think before I keep talking about this, I should talk about the parts of a financial plan. So what actually makes up a financial plan? So for most people, that is uh, budgeting and cash flow management, which we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast, and I'm sure we will continue to talk about on this podcast since it's like one of my loves of life is managing cash flows. Um, and then within that also is some education planning if you have kids. Um, and I think because you actually have to manage your cash flows pretty well to put away that much money for your children. So that's normally a topic that's discussed around managing cash flows. Um, and then after that, it, that we usually de- del- um, delve into insurance type stuff. Um, and insurance and, and benefits that you might have at your work, but um, specifically life insurance, disability insurance. If you're a business owner, there's several different types of business insurance that you can get to cover yourself. Um, and then the next thing we talk about is generally investing, which we won't talk about at all in this podcast because we don't provide any kind of investment advice. Um, and then tax planning is part of a financial plan, retirement planning. And the last thing that we always discuss is estate planning. And the more I think about it, the two most urgent things are, are actually insurance and estate planning. Um, and that's because if something were to happen to you and those things weren't in place, right? It's like in case of emergency, you need to have those things in case of emergencies. We've talked about having an emergency fund. That's actually pretty urgent too. Like you want to have some sort of cash in the bank so that if something bad happens, you lose your job, somebody gets sick, uh, you get sick, you fall, you need money. It's there for you. Same thing with insurance, right? Um, if you become disabled, you want to have some sort of disability. And a lot of people talk about it of, oh, well, I have it at work and I'm cool, I'm covered. Uh, but nobody really talks about kind of the nitty gritty details of what is really happening in those policies. You, um, you pay those policies with pre-tax dollars, which is great because you also get a really good deal usually for through your company if you're getting them through your company. But because you're paying it with pre-tax dollars, if you become disabled, and you actually like submit a claim to the insurance company, you will now be getting that money pre-tax as well, and you'll be paying taxes on that. So normally what happens is like maybe only 60% of your salary is covered, something like that, and now you're paying taxes on 60% of your salary. You have much less money to now go and take care of medical bills and everything else that comes with being disabled. So um, I think like, but the more I think about it, right, the harder that thing might be to address it might be really hard for somebody to imagine that themselves in that situation. You might have to go through several layers of other financial planning before you're really willing to even admit that disability insurance is something that you need or want to purchase. Uh, and I, and I'm, I've been trying to rack my brain around like how to create the like KonMari method for financial planning. Um, and as one of my friends actually put it, she said it was, it's called morganizing. <laughs> if I were going to put a term on it, it would be called morganizing, which I actually, I think that's really great. And I love that. Um, so I actually think that the best way to tackle your financial plan and your finances in general is to start with papers. 
So I know that in the Marie Kondo method, you start with your clothes and then you go to books and then you go to papers. Um, I think though, that if we're just pulling finances out of this, if we're just cleaning house related to finances, you probably want to start with your papers. Um, I think that's actually the easiest thing to start with because you can start going through things. You can start having a system for how you deal with, um, with papers that come in and out of your house that are related to your finances. Let's say like bills or really only bills. Honestly, I guess you should probably make other stuff paperless and you should probably make your bills paperless. But if you're not very good at paying your bills and you are good at checking your mail, maybe it's not a good idea to make things paperless. I don't know. It depends. I guess we say that a lot on this show, but if you start with your papers, you start to clean up, you start to get things scanned, you start to have things accessible when you need them. You also start to realize after you're scanning things for a while, you're like, wait, maybe I don't actually need this. Because I was doing that the other day since we've actually been going through the Kamari method in our house. We did close. We sort of skipped books. <laughs> I think my husband and I are really bad at throwing out books. I don't know. What can I say? We did a little of it. I think we could do more of it. We probably need to go back to it. But my desk was cluttered with papers and I was feeling really overwhelmed actually to even go through books because I didn't want to get to the paper part. Um, and then I just sat down one day and I was like, ah, screw it, whatever. I'm just going to do the papers. And I started going through the stuff on my desk. I started scanning stuff. I started shredding stuff and it felt really, really good. Um, and I started to realize that like, I have a real problem with actually scanning and then still keeping the paper, which I don't know if any of my listeners out there are also doing that, but like that's, that kind of defeats the purpose of scanning. <laughs> If you're going to scan it, throw it out. It's time. You could throw it out. You already have a copy of it. So, um, yeah, I was looking through some of my papers and specifically like related to when my son was born, I kept, um, all of the medical records, even though I had already scanned them because I created a file on my computer in case he wanted to have all of his medical records going back to his birth. Cause you know, like everybody obviously needs that. <laughs> and, um, so, so yeah. And then I still had the pile of them. I like saw them in his folder that I created on the computer for him. And I still had the piles of paper and I was like, you know what? I think it's time to start shredding these. So, um, yeah. So now I, I created a little bit of a system and it's actually kind of banking off of the Marie Kondo method of having a place to deal with things that are urgent keeping things that are important, important documents that even if you scan, you still need to keep them, right? Like social security card, passport, uh, deed to your home, deed to your car, things like that. You definitely want to keep those in a safe place. Um, and then like the stuff that you want to keep this, I guess, and that would really more fall under sentimental type, um, type things. And then you could decide whether or not you actually just want to scan it and throw it out, or if it really is more meaningful to keep the paper. But I would say for the most part, that most people can get by with throwing out 95% of their paper. Um, and going paperless does feel really good, but cluttering up your hard drive isn't actually much better. Um, I think like just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Um, and I know this for sure. Cause sometimes when I go into my downloaded folders on my computer, I like kind of panic because <laughs> there's so much stuff in there that it really needs to be cleaned up. Um, and I can't even seem to bring myself to clean up the stuff that I downloaded, th you know, three years ago. So if you are feeling like that, I don't think it's enough to just scan. I think it actually is like time to maybe throw stuff out, let stuff go. Um, and I think that that's the first step in organizing financially. <laughs> the next step though 
I think it is attacking some of these more urgent items. So I think like between, so there's, there's your insurance that you need to get into place. And then there's also your estate planning, especially if you have children. I think if you don't have children, you don't really have like much in assets. You're not owning real estate. You don't have anything super complicated. It's probably okay. Um, but you should know like what your state laws are and how assets would be divided if something did happen to you. That said, like you should start by tackling one of those and you should start by tackling the one that feels more comfortable to you, the one that feels easier to think about. So I think for most people, that's actually like the insurance piece and not the estate planning. Estate planning is actually much more difficult for people to think about. Um, and it's, it was even, I mean, it was difficult for my husband and I, when we sat down with an estate attorney and we were going through everything. Um, we, I mean, we were on the, on the same page for most things, but then, you know, we came around to some other things and we were like, Oh, I didn't realize that you thought about it this way or that I thought about it that way. Um, I found that to be really interesting because these aren't really things that you talk about on like a couple of first dates, right? You're not like, okay, so if we, you know, theoretically in a few years got married and then died in a, you know, terrible car accident and we left kids behind, what would happen? <laughs> that isn't really like first date discussion. Sometimes it's not really even 10th date discussion or even something that you talk talk about before you're married. It's usually something that you talk about after you're married, maybe when you even have kids. So, um, I would say like that is more difficult to think about. Whereas like protecting your family in case you die is kind of one of those nice things where, okay, well, I'm willing to pay a thousand bucks a year to, you know, make sure that my family cover is covered in case I die. But I also know that like if my premiums are super low and the insurance company was like very willing to insure me, then I'm pretty, it's pretty unlikely that I will die. So I would say for most people, Clean out your papers, then start with insurance. Insurance, though, is one of those things where you really want to talk to somebody who you trust. And somebody you trust is not necessarily always the someone, the person who sold you the best on their services. <laughs> so, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to knock all the insurance agents out there. I think that there are like, there are very competent insurance people out there who are not just out to sell you a bunch of crappy policies. There are definitely people out there who are doing the right thing. I think that the main thing to think about though, is that you want to find somebody who really is one of those people. Um, specifically because insurance, um, they insurance agents get paid on commission. So, they're much more likely to want to sell you a policy where they'll make a higher commission. So things like whole life insurance or universal life insurance, they get higher commissions on those products because you're basically like you're giving the insurance company more money to do these things. Whereas a term policy, they don't make as much money on. So somebody who is more driven by commissions rather than doing it because for the love of the job and for like putting the client's best interests first, they're much more likely to try to sell you something maybe that you, you might not necessarily need. So one of the most important things to think about when you're thinking about getting insurance is what do I need and what kind of person am I and what kind of legacy do I want to have in my life? Um, why do I say that? So if you're the kind of person who has a pretty low risk tolerance, you might actually want to consider some of these other products, even if you're young. Um, and that doesn't mean you park away 100% of your assets in something like this. What it does mean, though, is that maybe you have it be just a portion of your net worth. Um, also, if you're the kind of person who is worried about taxes in your lifetime. So what I mean by that is like you're pretty sensitive to your tax rate now and you, for some reason, worry about your tax rate in retirement or in the future, um, life insurance products are actually a good way to diversify your tax rate later on. So what do I mean by that? So 
Basically, the assumption in a lot of these retirement accounts, so things like a traditional IRA or your 401k at work or something like that, is that you're paying higher taxes now because you are working and you're making a good salary and you want to take the tax deduction now to lower your tax burden now because you're making more income now than you will in the future. That's the whole reason why we put money into these tax deductible type things. We want to take the tax deduction now. We want to pay less less in taxes now because we think we'll be paying less in taxes in the future. Um, and we sort of talked about this on the Q&A episode number five about how it really doesn't matter between a Roth and a traditional IRA, right? Because if your tax rate stays the same, then pretty much everything's the same. But what you're saying when you put into one of these tax deductible type accounts is you think your tax rate might be lower in the future and you benefit from doing that. But what if your tax rate isn't lower in the future? It's possible that it might not be lower in the future, right? It's it's very possible. So that's one of the things where it helps to, to diversify between accounts. And that's something that we talked about in episode five of like, well, you want to put into a Roth um, when you can. And you also want to put into these traditional type accounts when you can, because taking the tax deduction now and then spreading out the burden of what you do and don't have as taxable assets or um, taxable income in the future, excuse me, not assets, um, taxable income in the future will help like sort of alleviate that burden later on. Life insurance is actually one of those things that could do that too. So in some of these products where you accumulate cash value, you can basically take a loan against um, the cash value and you can um, later on in, in, in the policy's life um, after the cash value is accru- accrued and you can use that to offset some of your tax burden maybe later as well since it, you would be taking out against the policy tax-free. Um, that said, I don't think everybody should just go out and buy whole life insurance for that. (laughs) Um, but it it is a more tax efficient product. Um, but you give up things, you give up a lot to do that. Um, you pay high fees in these products. So one of the things that's not really talked about in the insurance industry is the insurance industry is actually has the same access to capital markets that you do. So the insurance, what that means though, is that the insurance company isn't actually able to invest in anything really that all that different than what you can. Um, and I know everyone's going to be like, well, I'm not an accredited investor and I'm not, you know, buying private shares in Uber and blah, 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 and fill in the blank investment that you think you don't have access to that the insurance company does. Um, and it's funny that you say that because most insurance companies are so conservative, they don't do things like that anyways. <laughs> So they really are kind of investing in the same stuff that you are. The only difference between what the insurance company is doing and what you're doing is, for A, they're, they have professional managers. Um, B, they are packaging these products so that they have some sort of downside buffer and also an upside cap. So what I mean by that is, like, you can't lose so much money in them, but you also can't make that much money in them. Um, and so the stuff that they're investing, like, they get a return around that as a result of capping what you would necessarily get in the same investments. Um, so where am I going with this? I kind of went on a tangent here. Let's get back to the Calmari method (laughs) or Morganizing as I'd like to put it on this, um, podcast. So it's really important. I know I just kind of blabbed on and on and on about why you would maybe consider having some of these cash value type products in your, um, repertoire. Um, but there are also a lot of reasons why you wouldn't. So getting back to like why you would have certain types of life insurance is, for starters, it always comes down to like what you want to protect something. So let's say you are a, I don't know, here, let's use me as an example. You're a wife, you have a 11 month old son, 
um, you're married and um, you want to make sure that if you die, that since my business income is going to go away, that my family would be protected. So what I did in my situation was I decided to get both a 10, um, a 20 year, excuse me, and a 30 year term policy. I did that the 30 year term because I want to have more kids. So I don't necessarily think that a 30 year term is maybe always the right way to go. Um, usually a 20 year term is enough and you're able to like to self-insure later on. I did the 20 and the 30 year term because we plan on having more children down, down the road. And I wanted to make sure that I was covered for more than let's say my kid up to the age of 18. Um, I felt like that was important because like if my kids go to college or something like that and I die, then at least like my husband would be able to pay for it with life insurance money. <laughs> um, that was kind of the thought there, but that that's like, these are the things that you need to be thinking about. So what I mean by like, deciding how you want to buy insurance, deciding what you want to protect. These are all things that you have to think about. So you have to take it to that place. You Like when you think about what the products are, what's being offered to you, um, and, and how you actually want to protect your life. Um, and by your life, I actually mean other people's livelihoods after you die. Um, so the, it's not like the lightest subject <laughs> to be thinking about. I, I hear you. Um, but it's also really important because at the end of the day, I don't know what's important to you. So if your family is really not that important to you, maybe you don't even care about having any life insurance. For me, like family is one of the most important things. Um, and it's like basically my family first and then my business. Um, I can't really think of anything else besides those two things, maybe my health. Yeah. I mean, we, we also did just get a Peloton bike. So I guess my health is important. Um, <laughs> but so getting back to it, so it, it always really comes back to this idea of like, you need to understand who you are, what you want to do in your life and what you want to do beyond your life. Um, and I think that that's a really good place to start in general for organizing your finances. And from there, like things sort of start to lay out. So well, I know I'm part of this, everything that I'm telling you right now is about kind of getting the most urgent pieces in order, getting your insurance and your estate plan in order is really important for getting your finances in order. It's also just really important for you getting your head in order about what's important to you in your life. What is the purpose of your money? What is the purpose of, of why you're here? What are you doing with your life? Why are you going out and making money every day? And like, sure, it could be kind of on the surface of like, I'm just trying to put food on my table. But when you really think about it, like, okay, are you trying to put food on the table for you? Are you trying to put food on the table for other people in your household? Is there a specific kind of food you want to put on that table? Or do you not care? Could you eat ramen every single day for the rest of your life or some sort of other really cheap food? Um, or is it important to you that you like, you know, buy the freshest, most organic thing that you can find at the farmer's market? These are all things that like you need to know when you're thinking about what's important to you in your life. Um, so yeah, uh, I know I'm kind of been going on a tangent because I didn't really prepare any notes for this <laughs> and maybe that's a good thing. Um, I don't know. I've been like pretty organized for the first bunch of the podcasts and I think it's actually held me back from doing more podcasts because it's actually really like, it's kind of a big deal to like put a bunch of content together and then be talking. Um, and then I think like after doing this for five, six episodes, I started to realize that like, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep that up. 
Um, and now I'm kind of at a point where I'm feeling a little bit comfortable with the microphone, just kind of chit-chatting away. And, um, you know, hopefully you're still listening to this. <laughs> but anyways, to get back to organizing. So um, it starts with cleaning out your papers, then hitting something urgent. I think that after you clean out your papers, you'll feel good enough to like really start thinking about the things that are important to you and thinking about the ways to protect your family. I think um, life insurance first. Um, and then the next thing is estate planning for sure, um, to sit down with a good estate attorney. So if you are a person who owns real estate or who has a business or who has kids um, or who has all of those things, it is a really good idea to sit down with an actual attorney, not do things like legal zoom. Um, yeah, I can't say that enough. Um, I think it's really important to sit down with an attorney. So here's why the attorney will help talk you through everything on your mind about all of these things. So if you're like a super easy situation, if you are a W-2 em employee, you work for a corporation, you rent, you don't, you're not married, you don't have any kids, you probably don't even need to do any estate planning. I mean, I would say like your estate planning is basically common sense. Like unless you've just racked up tons of assets and you want to make sure that certain people get them, I would say you probably don't even need any kind of estate planning. If you are married um, and maybe one of you doesn't have um, citizenship to, in the U.S., you might want to also talk to an attorney. If you are married with kids, you absolutely need to talk to an attorney. Like, hands down need to talk to an attorney. And here's why. Like, what would happen if you and your spouse died right now? Who gets your kids? Something so simple as that has to be put in writing. So it might be one of the things like, oh, it's an unwritten rule that my mom will come and pick up my kids and everything will be fine. Okay, great. But like maybe your sister also thinks that she should take care of your kids. Or maybe your, you know, husband's brother thinks that he should have your kids. And now you're, you and your husband are dead and everyone's fighting over who should have your children. I don't think that that's how you want to live your life, right? I don't think like we don't really think about these things while we're living. We don't really think that they're that important until we start thinking of the scenarios that could happen after we after something tragic were to happen. And I'm not saying that something tragic in your life is going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to live to be 100 years old and everything's going to be great and you'll die in your sleep, okay? But <laughs> that said, you should probably still prepare just in case, <laughs> just in case you don't die in your sleep at age 100 and everything went perfectly in your life. It's a good idea to prepare. Um, and I think the other thing about sitting down with an attorney is and they kind of talk you through everything. They've seen it all. A good attorney has seen it all. A good attorney has been through a lot of different scenarios. Um, a good attorney has probably also like dealt with complicated families or crazy families or fighting families and everything else that comes along with that. So I would say that sitting down with an attorney is not just about getting the docs together. It's about getting the advice and the insight that that, that person has to offer you about all the other people who have been through this, which are basically millions of people because everyone in America should basically have an estate plan. I know they don't, but yeah, they should. Okay. So after you do your papers and you get your urgent stuff done and you have your emergency fund in order, now you can move on to some of the more interesting, which I think are more interesting parts of financial planning, which are managing your cash flows to the best of your ability. Yes, I know. Go back to podcast seven, especially if you're a business owner and start thinking about managing your cash flows like a rock star. 
Uh, we will also have an episode coming up about managing your cash flows as a regular person who's not a business owner. Um, and also in that podcast, it'll be more about like personally managing cash flows, not about business managing cash flows. But that said, like a lot of the stuff that I talked about is actually pretty applicable to just your personal life in general. Like running a lean operation we talked about last time, you should probably be running a lean operation uh, in your personal household too if like you don't really have the kind of money coming in that you think you would want to have. Um, that said, like that doesn't mean you need to like have this super restrictive budget that feels like you're going to die. Um, I think that I haven't kind of made that clear in everything that I've been talking about on this podcast is like, that's not really what I believe in. And I think that that's actually something where you're coming from a place of scarcity, um, where you think your budget is so restrictive that you couldn't do anything in your life. That's not what I mean. I actually think that it's more like episode three, where we talked about discipline equals financial freedom. Your budget actually equals freedom. Your budget like helps you learn what it is that you can spend so that you can go out and actually spend it and you can spend it without guilt and you can spend it without worrying that you won't be able to make ends meet. Budgets are freeing. They are not restrictive. But that's like a mindset thing, right? That's like a lot of the other things that we've been talking about um, in this podcast in general about like you have to change your thoughts sometimes to actually believe those things. So I believe that in my core, I believe that like having a budget is actually the best thing because then I always know how much I can spend on stuff and I never worry about it. But for somebody else, and I've seen this in a lot of my clients, they think that like I'm taking everything away from them when I, when I even bring up the word budget. Um, and I, that's not what we're about here. Um, that's not what I'm about in my financial planning practice. That's definitely not what money owners is all about. Like the whole point of this is that you can live the best possible life with the money that you have. That's always been kind of my mantra. That's always been what everything is about. Um, and for me, like I, I want to help people do that. That's part of my, that's part of my mantra is like helping other people live the best possible life that they can with the finances that they have. And that doesn't mean that your finances have to stay the same forever. <laughs> that doesn't mean that if you only have a hundred grand in the bank now that like, that's all you'll ever have. It just means that accepting what you have now is like the first step to being able to change, accepting what you have now and living within your means now and learning all of the tools of the trade now will help you to grow into the person that maybe you'll be when you have a million dollars in the bank or really any kind of money in the bank. So I don't think that it really, I don't think that like you have to be poor to budget. Um, and I, and I don't even like saying that out loud. I think it sounds kind of like crass. Um, like I think like, having purpose and meaning in your life and really in using your money the way that you want to be using it, using your money intentionally is the way to go. So that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you make 20 grand a year, you make 200 grand a year, or if you make $2 million a year, right? It doesn't feel good when you make $2 million a year and you just see money flying out the door and you don't know where it went. I know that like people listening to this who don't make $2 million a year think that I'm like crazy <laughs> by saying that, but it's actually true because it's the same thing as you making whatever you're making now and feeling like whatever you're spending money on is meaningless. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If that's the feeling that you have, if that's the thought that you're having that's causing that feeling that's making you take these actions. If you have that thought loop, it doesn't matter how much money is involved. You're always going to have that thought loop. So let's go back to what the steps are <laughs> before I kind of lose my mind and go off the rails totally on this podcast. So you got to get your papers in order. Then you have to hit urgent stuff like your estate planning and your insurance. Probably do your insurance first. Start thinking about the purpose of your money. 
right? Manage your cash flows. Do it regardless of how much money you make. Be your best possible self if you are making $5 or if you are making $5 million. Doesn't matter. Be intentional. Have purpose. And then the rest of it is investing, I would say, which I really don't want to talk about too much. Um, I will eventually figure out a way to talk about this in a way that's not going to piss off a regulator. (laughs) I promise you guys there will be something, but I'm just not ready to go there yet. Um, And tax planning and retirement planning. So unless you do any of that other stuff first, none of the other stuff really matters. Um, And I know that like, other people, if any planners are listening to this, they probably think I'm a crazy person. They're probably like, of course it matters that you invest your assets. And it really, I mean, it does. Um, but I would say like, that's not where you start. That's not how you start getting your finances in order. You don't start getting your finances order in order by like buying an index fund and not knowing what the purpose of your money is or whether or not you're going to be like doing something with it in the next five years. Um, because you'll just be allocated incorrectly. Um, and everything else that comes with it. And I even more strongly believe that if you've never invested before um, and you start reading some stuff about like some whatever you're reading on the internet that you should be buying that somebody told you to invest in or whatever bottom line article is coming out about investing, um, I think that you're much more likely to get tripped up when you don't have all this other stuff in order, when you haven't really thought about who you are, what you, what the purpose of your money is, why you were doing the things that you're doing. If you haven't thought about those things and you can't even give yourself a proper risk tolerance because like the second the market goes down, you're going to, you're not even going to know why you're invested. Whereas like, I know deep in my heart, I know why I'm invested. I'm invested the way that I am because My husband and I may want to buy a house in the future. I haven't quite worked that out yet, but that might be something I work out on this podcast. (laughs) We might not want to buy a house. So we have some, you know, we have some cash around just in case we want to make a down payment. And then we have the rest of our assets invested because I want to retire early at some point or not retire early, but work by choice. And I want that money to grow for me when I'm there. And I can basically weather any storm in the market because I know that because I know I don't need this money for at least 20 years. And that, like, that to me is freedom. Um, And this is not, please don't misconstrue anything that I'm saying right now to be investment advice because it's not. Um, And even if you think that your situation is exactly like mine, you don't don't take investment advice from this. But um, the point of me telling you this was to tell you that, like, if you have a plan, if you know what the purpose of your funds are for, then it's much easier to decide how you go about getting there? How do you go about saving for it, let's say, for instance, or how you go about investing for it? Or what kind of things that you need to do for your retirement plan that gets talked about a lot in the financial planning industry? All right, so I know I quite rambled quite a bit on this one. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed it. I really actually, I had a good time doing this. I'm really glad I just picked up my mic and decided to start talking um, and didn't plan as much as I usually do. So the topic of today was organizing. I repeated myself quite a bit, but I just want to go back through the list again. So um, basically you're going to go through your papers, then you're going to pick something urgent, pick insurance. I think it'll help you. Then pick estate planning. Even if you don't want to do it, it's a really good idea to do it. Go through the exercise. Even if you don't meet with an attorney, go through the mental exercise of seeing what it would look like after you died and what things needed to be in what places. And then um, have your emergency fund in place. Start managing your cash flows properly. And then you can hit the rest of the stuff. 
the things that, you know, all the financial planners think are fun, like invest the investing and the tax planning and the retirement planning. And that is all that I have for you guys today. So I'm probably going to run another Q&A episode um, in two episodes from now. So if you're listening to this and you think that I could answer a good question of yours, you can go to the website. Um, there's an Ask Morgan tab. So at moneyowners.com forward slash Ask Morgan, and you can type in your question there. You can also hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E, M-O-R-G-E-N, Rochard, or at money underscore owners. And you can ask your question there. You can send me a DM. Um, You can also find me on Facebook, but I think those are the best places to find me. And um, if you like the show, please leave me a review on iTunes. I really appreciate it. It would very much help out the show. And I'm giving you guys all this free, awesome advice. So, you know, give me a five-star review. All right, that's all. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks.